Well, good evening. We are thankful that you are here this evening. To any of our visitors that are in midst, we appreciate you stopping by and coming our way. And we are looking forward to a few moments of study together this evening. We appreciate your attendance so much. Uh, most, most of you did recognize the voice from above there as Heath Holland leading us in prayer. He said, you mind if I use the wireless mic? I said, I don't until you scare everybody maybe with your, with your voice coming from above there. Uh, but I will take that moment to encourage all of you and say that we're always looking for good help around here. we got a lot of good folks and a lot of good members. Uh, we appreciate everybody's work in different ways. Um, but at the same time, we're always looking to, for those that will help. I say that in part because uh, we're always looking for men that might be willing to train to help work in the sound booth. Well, some of the guys who do it are, are often gone speaking different places or things like that. At the same time, we've had a, a bunch who've been going through some uh, monitor training here the last few services. We've tried to add to our men who help uh, doing our monitor in the hallway, counting, things like that. And so uh, we'll put you to work if you're interested. And we always appreciate those who sign up to help in those various ways. Uh, we're going to do a lesson tonight that we meant to do a couple of weeks ago when we canceled our services on Sunday night when we were unsure about our air uh, working. And uh, I, I don't think that uh, any of you might have heard this before. My wife this afternoon said, you've done that one already. And I said, no, it was in the bulletin, but we didn't get to it that night. So we're going to talk about our one word study. And we are up to the word love in the particular study that we're looking at. As I mentioned to you, this is meant to be a 52-week study. I've turned it into a monthly study for us, uh, just kind of a series that we take once a month. And so uh, we're ready tonight to talk about the word love. I would uh, sort of caution you on the front end. As I look around the audience, most of you have heard probably uh, at least in the double digits, if not even up to triple digits, some of us lessons on love in our lifetime. So I don't have anything new necessarily uh, to share when it comes to the word love or the way it's used in the Bible. Uh, but just a few thoughts to share from this devotional series tonight. And maybe as we think about it, we'll find something new to sort of consider or to apply to our lives over the uh, coming days. When you look at the Old Testament, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22. We'll look at a couple of these uh, words that are used in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22, first of all, and verse number 2. We see this first word used there. This word that's listed first on the screen, and I believe should be in your bulletin to fill in there, is the Hebrew word ava. Uh, it's pronounced more like H-A-V at the end than the, what we see H-A-V, but it's the verb form that is used in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 2. You know there the story of Abraham's fur, uh, faith being confirmed. And it says in verse number 2 that God tells Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That's the verb form of the Hebrew word that is used here. It means to have a strong emotional attachment or a desire for someone or something. It's used in the Old Testament, particularly in Genesis 22 here, to describe the affection between parents and children. It's the way that we usually sing about it when we sing about love. Even today in our, you know, in our more modern songs, think about the different genres, country or rock or whatever. When we sing a song about love, that's what we're talking about, the love that we have one for another. And this is uh, at least the noun, excuse me, the verb form of that word in Hebrew. The second word on the screen here is actually the noun form. If you've got your Bibles, look in 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is the noun for, uh, form of this particular Hebrew word. And it's used in 1 Samuel 18 in verses 1 and 3. In verse number 3, or actually both of these places here in 1 Samuel 18, it's used to describe the love between friends. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
We think about in verse number one that Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then in verse number three, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. <clears throat> Again, whether it's the English definition or the way it's used in the Hebrew or as we'll talk in a moment about the Greek, we understand the concept of love, in particular between parents and children, in particular in between friends, of course. And it's used in the many different passages here in the Old Testament in that type of way. You're more familiar with the New Testament word. I'll go ahead and throw a couple of them up there. You see one underlined there if you have a bulletin and you're filling out the outline as you follow along. But in the Greek and New Testament, there are actually several words that are used, but there are only two words that are used in both their verb and noun forms. And that is the first one there, agapo or agape. That's the one we are more familiar with. And even phileo, the second term there. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John 4, we see this idea of this agape love. It is used to describe the essential nature of God. We sing this in our songs, especially some of our songs um, that we talk about with our young people. But verse 1 John 4 and verse number 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're going to talk in a few moments when we make some application to ourselves <clears throat> from some of the devotional thoughts about this idea of uh, you know, what love means to us, how we define it, the, the ways that we choose to, to define that, this idea. But, but John tells us here, God is love. Love is God. When you think about it, that's as simple as that. Now, when we break it down to our lives, how do we apply it? That means a little something else. But God is love. It's his, in his essential nature. You notice as well in verses 9 and 10 there following. In this is the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This love is not simply passive. It is expressed. We know as well from Galatians chapter 5 that it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. That we are to have love about our life. This word agape, as you write it in your outline possibly there, we recognize and we think of the highest form in a sense. That the way that God loved us, that, that giving, that completely yielding love of God is the agape form of love. Again, if you've heard lessons on love, you've probably thought about this idea of phileo. The idea that we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from this word. And if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14 and verse 21. John 14 and verse 21. This word phileo is used to describe the feelings of the father toward his son and his feeling toward the believer even. Jesus says, he who has my commandment and commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will phileo. I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, when we think about it in a general sense, all of these words, we could look at the many different ways they're used in the Bible. But that's just a, a, a touch of it to understand the concept of love. 
What I'd like us to do for the rest of the lesson is to take a look. I've mentioned to you before that this particular study has a, a companion book that is a weekly or daily, excuse me, daily devotional study, five days a week that you can take and you can read. Usually I pick out a couple of those to kind of make application, but I would like for us to look at all five very quickly tonight because it allows us to think about how we apply this concept. We understand somewhat what it is. We, we can recognize it sometimes, but how do we apply it? Tonight, I'm, I've got five of them. They're, I don't think they're all in the bulletin, but there should be at least two or three there for you to follow along and fill out. But first of all, if you've got your Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We begin with the love chapter, the one that we know so well. And let's talk about love defined. Again, as we said a moment ago, if you want to think about love in today's world, you can go to any number of psalms. You can go to the 2000s, you can go back to the 80s, the 70s, and so on and so forth. In 1984, the band Foreigner recorded a song, I Want to Know What Love Is. And what's interesting, when we think about people trying to figure out what that looks like, they go to all sorts of places. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times we go to our relationships with people that we love here upon this earth. And if we're all being honest, as we look around us, there's a lot of broken relationships. And so we can get, if we're not careful, this misconception about what love really is. When we think about love being defined, oftentimes we're left searching for what it really is. And most people won't go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The author of the daily devotional uh, series here that I, I'm looking off of defined love that the world looks at it, the way the world looks at it, as cotton candy. As cotton candy. Now, the biblical definition of love is that it's not cotton candy. But he said that the world's foe or fake version of love is like cotton candy that looks so good but never fills you up. Now, you're like our family. Uh, cotton candy is a favorite sometimes. If you go to the fair or someplace and they're selling it, we love cotton candy. It does. It looks great, but it never quite fills you up. In fact, he goes on to say it this way, and I, I like it just to share it exactly as he says it, but he says, it looks like so much. The cotton candy will look like so much, but at the first drop of rain, it begins to disappear right before your eyes. It's the way the world treats love sometimes. Something that looks like a lot or sounds like a lot, but when you really get down to it, and there's something that's messed up there. There's something that is broken. When we think about our families in the world today and the brokenness of our families, it's a lot of time what happens. People get built up, hyped up on love in a relationship. And when the rain comes, when the storms come, then you see that it's like cotton candy and it begins sort of to come down and disintegrate into nothing. Do you want to know what love is? As that song from Foreigner said, look through God's word. And find it. Passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're not going to take the time tonight to read all of that, but we understand there's some qualities about love, some things that it is supposed to be. And I would almost be willing to go around the room and ask each one of us if you've been to a wedding, and possibly you have, but if you've been to a wedding where this passage wasn't referenced, maybe you have, but more than likely it's mentioned somewhere. Whether it was or wasn't, it doesn't really matter. My point is that a lot of people will mention it, but they forget what it really means. They're not building upon that foundation. Do you want to know what love is? Look to God's word and find it. Do you want to know what love is? Look to the power of the cross, even as we'll talk about in a few moments, and think about it. Do you want to know what love is? Look in this letter, this letter of 1 Corinthians, and take a look at what Paul has to say, the characteristics of it, and what it's truly built upon. 
more than just something that is sweet or sugary. Yeah, we all love those songs. We can all probably rattle off a list of, of sweet love songs that we think of that people have written, uh, again, in the sense of modern music. But when we really get down to it, do we really know what it is? Have you ever wondered if you're really experiencing love? Then bring your relationship along this type of way. Bring your relationship along what Paul is saying here and examine if you really know what love defined is. Secondly tonight, we want to think about love embodied. Love embodied. If you have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 for just a moment. And let's think about love embodied. You know, maybe you're like me. I, I'm kind of like some people who learn by watching. You know, there's people who make uh, millions of dollars probably off of YouTube now, you know, teaching people how to do things. And maybe you're like me, you get something out of it. You flip on a video, you watch somebody do something, and then you can practice it. Sometimes, some of us learn best by watching. We like to learn by, or to see how something is done and learn from experience. As Paul writes here to those in Philippi, he gives an example. He shows what love is. In the coming of Christ, even as we talked about in our lesson this morning about the birth of Christ for just a moment, we're able to catch a front row seat, if you will, to the greatest love story of all time. We're able to get an, a glimpse into what love embodied really means. If you've got your Bible open there to Philippians chapter 2, Paul goes through it. He talks about Christ Jesus that did not consider himself, to not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of the death on the cross. If you want to see it embodied, if you want to understand what love is, and again, I've kind of picked on the music genre just a little bit here for a few moments, but, but how many billions, with a B, billions of dollars have been spent on movies? You know, you can rent all kinds of movies to explain to you what love means and what it looks like. We get a front row seat when we open up our Bible. We get a front row seat when we think about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's interesting sometimes, and maybe you've done it before. Maybe you've caught yourself watching a movie, a movie about love, and you might catch just a glimpse of something in that story that comes from the Bible. And they don't say it. They're not exactly meaning to, maybe. But, but sometimes we get a lot of our ideas. People get ideas from the story, the idea of things that come from the Bible. God told it best, including the greatest love story. Love embodied when it comes to what Jesus was willing to do here. The selfless love of Christ, if you will, that brings us hope and forgiveness. As Paul writes to those here in Philippi, go back to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. And notice that he is addressing the selfishness, the selfishness in the congregation. And he's not just mentioning that, he's mentioning the strife that it produces. He talks about things that be, would be done through selfish ambi uh, ambition or conceit. And he's saying, don't be that way. He's talking about the selfishness and the strife. And what was his response what comes right after it? He says, if you had this problem with selfishness, what should you do about it? How should you handle it? And he says, love right. Love the right way. 
Well, Paul, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you in verses 5 through 11 there. Let me show you what Jesus was willing to do. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So many times we turn to those great authors, those great poets, those great movies that we love. But Paul says, if you want to know how to love right, if you want to know how to get rid of selfishness, then turn to the greatest love story, if you will, of all time. And we get a front row seat when we think about exactly what Jesus did. Realize that this kind of love was Christ's choice. He chose to do it and he modeled it for us. We get it turned around sometimes in our life. We get confused. We listen to our heart, what some people say. We follow our gut, some other people say. We forget to think about the ultimate story that we have for us there, even on the pages of the New Testament. Love embodied. Number three, love practice. If you've got your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love practice. In the greatest command of Matthew chapter 22 here, Jesus tells us how and who we are to love. Again, we ask the question, what do I do? How do I do it? Who am I supposed to do it to? Christ gives us the answer. God, by inspiration, tells us. Jesus tells us how and who we are to love. He says, first of all, that our primary love is to be directed towards God. Now, we sometimes describe this in a few different ways. First of all, vertical. Our vertical love is first and foremost toward God, our Father, our Creator, the Almighty who reigns in heaven, who has given us every good and perfect gift. Our love should be first directed toward God. This is a description, as Jesus says it, first of all, in verse number 37, of, by the way, everything. Everything that was within us. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, it says in some other places. But everything that is within us is supposed to be directed towards loving God completely. It should envelop everything about us. We may have a personality, and our personality may be a little difficult at times, but people should look at us and be able to see somebody who envelops love. And first and foremost, that is a love towards God. Remember that Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse number 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's interesting that Jesus connects our love with obedience. You know, people want to balance that all the time, or really they don't want to. They sort of fight against it. Is it love or is it you know, good works? Is it obedience? Well, we go back and forth between those different things. But love is not a state of being. Love is not something that you fall into by chance. And I, I know, we, you know most of us have been there where we're, we're maybe in a dating type of relationship or when we were younger we were courting someone, thinking about dating someone to marry and we go through that flood of hormones and emotions sometimes but that's not what love really is. It's more than just something that you fall into. It's an, it's an action. Love is something to be practiced. Perhaps you've heard a preacher tell you before mention the word that's used for worship in the New Testament. The word that's used for worship in the New Testament is proskuneo, and it carries with it the idea of to kiss and to kiss towards. Sounds like our worship be, should be an expression of our love. If our worship is proskuneo, to kiss towards God, we show our love towards Him when we worship Him. But we notice not only in this passage that is it vertical with God, but of course it's horizontal as well with others. When we realize the power of love that we have with God, we share it with others. 
Not only do we share the love of God with them in the sense that we would teach them, but we just share it. I keep harping on it because we've been talking about it. Been in our adult classroom, number one class on Sunday morning, we've been talking about fellowship and love for one another. We show that love of Christ when we share that together. The first and natural response to the second command that Jesus gives is here in this text, that we love God, and the first, that's the first and the greatest, and the second is like it, that we love one another. If we truly love God, then we'll show service to one another. We read it all through His Word. We see it carried out on the pages of the New Testament. Ultimately, our hope is that this service would lead others to do that. The idea of passing on, if I love you the way that I should, and you love someone else, then we can spread that love around the world. There's a lot of sin and darkness sometimes, and it gets in the way, but it should be something that we're striving for. But before we move on, I think it's interesting to consider here as well, there's a third type of love, and that is internal. That you have love for yourself. Notice that Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Often lost in this greatest command to love is a permission to learn to love yourself. Sometimes we're so busy giving love out to others that we forget to care for ourselves. Now this loving yourself, of course, is not an ego-driven kind of way. It's not an arrogance, but rather it's a love of self that has experienced the amazing love and forgiveness of God. We have to love ourselves. We have to give ourselves uh, this kind of experience to be able to share that with others. We cannot continually just pour out into others and not expect to have some time for ourselves to love ourselves again. Not in this sense of overdoing it or ego-driven. But yes, we have the vertical and the horizontal. But let's not forget about our internal as well. Caring for ourselves. This is love practice. Loving God, sharing and showing that to others and taking care of ourselves as well. In the fourth place, turning your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Now, we're going to talk about something here that's a little difficult for some of us. Sharing. Maybe that's for the younger ones in the audience, but sometimes we all struggle with it. In fact, we have a joke, Hannah and I have a joke with our dear friends here, Cody and Santana. Hey, are you going to get a little bit extra of that food so that we can share it? And then it doesn't quite always go that way when you get a little bit more, right? Because it's all mine. And I don't want to share whatever I got, whether it's the dessert or whether it's whatever you like from the table. And so we joke about how difficult sometimes it is to share. Sometimes our kids, of course, really struggle in the area of sharing. But as much as we hate to admit it, adults do too. Sometimes it's because our love is misplaced. We talk about loving ourselves. We should love ourselves. But sometimes we love ourselves more than we love everybody else. And so it's easy to keep everything to ourselves. But as we mature, as our love matures and our love increases, so should our sharing and our willingness to share with those that we love. Notice here in chapter 5 of Ephesians verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sweet and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You've heard it said that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And as chapter 5 begins here in Paul's letter to those in Ephesus, Paul challenges them, and of course challenges us, 
to live as loving children and to imitate our Father. Love the things he loves. Love like he loves. And of course, Paul continues here that this love is not only to be learned, but it's to be lived out. And he gives us the perfect example again. He says it all throughout his letters, just as it's said all throughout the Bible. Be like Christ. Follow after Christ. Do what he did. Look to his example for how we are to love. God's love is given not only to save, but to be shared. Walk in love as Christ loved and live it out. Notice there, though, continuing on, we'd love to catch the context of everything. In verses 3 through 12 or so there, Paul then continues on to contrast the perfect love with the lies and the imitations that will try to ensnare us. You see, when you begin there in verse number 3 and look down through there, some of these things that we sometimes find ourselves in. He reminds us to, to look at the contrast between a life that is loving that has light in it and one that is drenched in darkness. A life that has despair, covetousness, uncleanness, filthiness, nor foolish talking, coarse jesting, all those things that are listed on down through there. Paul is warning us to stay away from them. But notice that it comes in contrast, beginning of the chapter, of being an imitator. Being an imitator of God and an imitator of Christ. Paul here paints a beautiful portrait of the love that we have and that we should share. If you're in Galatians, or excuse me, still there in Ephesians 5, look at the end of the chapter. He goes on to share about love again by doing what? Talking about marriage. When we think about marriage, we learn about that love that it's built upon from Christ and the church. And we see the instructions here for husbands to love your wives. For wives to submit to their husbands, but not to do so simply because Paul said it, although that would be part of it, but to do so because Christ imitated for us love. Because when we think about uh, wives submitting themselves to the husband, many people say, well, wait a minute, I got a problem there. We think about husbands ruling over their wives, wait a minute, that doesn't sound good to me. But when we think as Paul says it, that husbands are to love their wives and to rule over their wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her. Paul continues to give us these different examples of love. Whether it's the contrast at the beginning of the chapter. Or what comes there at the end. We need to see these examples of love shared. And practice them in our life. Finally tonight if you've got your Bibles. Look in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. When we think about love everlasting. That's what we're after right? We're after Everlasting love. Again, we think about all the many different songs that we know. I'll give you a minute to turn to Lamentations because I'm trying to find it here too. There we go. Lamentations chapter 3. Really the whole chapter here kind of en encompasses it. But we're going to look at uh, a couple of verses in particular here towards the end or towards the middle, excuse me, that you're more familiar with. It is that seems like that now there used to be a season of weddings, but now it seems like they're kind of year-round. There's some in the summer, in the fall, and in the spring. But during wedding time, we hear these words about there will be an everlasting love. We hear these songs. And, and we think about the Old Testament, how even there God's love is described as steadfastness, unfailing, never-ending, everlasting 
love. Where the love of the world sometimes ebbs and flows, where it comes and it goes. Where somebody says, hey, I love you, but then they treat you another way the next day. And we have problems with that. God's love is steadfast. When we say that there is an everlasting love, we need to consider the way that God describes it. Do you remember here in Lamentations, as we talked even this morning about the, the terribleness of Israel and those prophets who were speaking about this king? Jeremiah, speaking as a prophet, experiences the difficulty of love. During this hard time of Israel's life, he's struggling with it. Misery and punishment have been nothing but what they've seen from the Babylonians and others who would enslave them and drive them to serve them. But in the, in the midst of all that, Jeremiah is still pointing the way. And in verses 21 through 23, as we think about Lamentations 3 here, we see these words that we know. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fall not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We think about the songs that we sing that, that encourage us to con continue on with that. To think about the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. Our anchor is not cast in a love that kind of passes by. In a love that is unreliable. Our anchor is cast in the, in the God of heaven. In the example of Christ. That is love everlasting. It is never ending. It is steadfast through all of life. One more passage here and we'll conclude this lesson. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 here and the lesson will be yours. When God comes to Abraham in Genesis 22, as we talked about a moment ago, he gives Abraham that difficult command and he tells him to sacrifice his son, the son whom he loves. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 7 and 8, God reminds the people here that he did not choose them because they were a large and impressive nation. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. Even those words that we talked about this morning, that promise that was made to Eve, to Abraham, to Judah and so on and so forth through the Old Testament. God said, it's not that you're the biggest and the best. It's that I love you and I've made a promise and I'm willing to keep that. When Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament, he speaks about a new commandment. You remember that? A new commandment I give to you. But what he really says is it's not a new commandment at all. After all, it's something that's been said all along. Love one another. Love one another. It's that simple. It's hard sometimes when we make it difficult. It's hard sometimes when our life gets in the way. But we are to love one another. As we conclude this lesson tonight, we're about to sing this song of invitation. Maybe you examine your life and see where love is lacking a little bit in your life. It could be any of the num numerous ways that we've talked about tonight. As I said from the outset, I don't seem to have it all figured out or don't plan to uh, unveil anything new. But for us just to consider again the love of Christ and the love of God. We show our love back for God by becoming gospel obedient. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never done that. You've never given yourself to God in the sense of giving your life over to him, submitting yourself to baptism, having not this, the dirt washed off your skin, but the sin removed from your life by the blood of Christ. Showing that love through obedience. 
Maybe you're here and you've done that, but your love has become a little lost. Your love has become a little weak. We see it all the time. We see it all the time in our personal relationships where love sometimes fails. Maybe you're here and you recognize that your love is failing towards God, first and foremost and most importantly, and you need to come back to him. If it's in a public manner, we would gladly encourage you to, to come and let it be known so that we can pray for you and with you. If it's in a private manner, we'd love for you to take care of it between you and God. We don't want anyone to leave with that question in their mind, either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.